Tonight we're going to be in Acts chapter 22, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Acts 22. What's the little dog's name? Vivi. That's a good name. Vivi's old. I was just thinking about Vivi, Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So there you go. Uh, Vivi, we hope you hear tonight. Probably can't hear, can't she? Can't see, can't hear. Oh, Vivi's a mess. Poor Viv. But sweet, very sweet. Let's pray, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the time we get to have in it. As uh, Aaron prayed, some of these things we say every week and every day of our lives, and it's because it's so true. When we talk about you, it's hard not to just give thanks for your word, for your presence in our life, for your Holy Spirit, and um, for what you've done for us and how you've changed us. You've taken away anger for some. You've taken away guilt for others. And um, you've taken away so much. And then you've come in and added so much to us. You've, you're conforming us and not only taking things away from us, but making us like your son, Jesus. And we're just very, we're very grateful for that, Lord. So tonight, as we get into Acts 16 and we see Paul's heart for his people, we see his love for them um, and his hope that perhaps this could be one of those moments like Peter had where 3,000 people got saved. Um, we appreciate that heart that he has, and we want that heart also. So help us to learn tonight, to receive everything you have for us, to absorb it, take it all in. And uh, we just pray that you're, um, you're glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 22 is a very sweet chapter. Um, Last time we were in Acts, I spoke on how it's very difficult to understand this kind of love that he has for his people. Um, <clears throat> Paul is trying to become all things to all men. He's trying to minister. He's trying to reach a group of people that don't want to be reached by him. And that's a difficult place to be when you have a passion and a love for somebody and they don't have that for you. <clears throat> Now, what Paul is experiencing and what often most of us experience in this life are similar relationships like that. And I, hopefully this will help tonight with that. Um, there may be times that you can remember in your life where you've desperately wanted a person to love you like you love them, and they don't respond or they don't reciprocate. Um, but what you're sharing in there, what Paul says in his writings, is you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. It's an experience that nobody wants, but is essential for us to understand our God more. Um, when we read John 3.16, for God so loved the world, it's almost so common and rolls off our tongue so quickly that we don't hear it. We just say it. But he has that same desperate thought and heart for all mankind as you have for that one person that you can think of. And when that love isn't returned, it is very difficult to, to deal with. Not that God has problems with dealing things, but I think we either have this view of God as someone who sits on the throne who's aloof, distant, emotionally detached, could care less, is who he is, does what he does, join me or die kind of thing. <clears throat> or we go to the other extreme, we think he's just like us, and he's wallowing in self-pity, and he doesn't know what to do, and he's wringing his hands about the salvation of mankind. Somewhere in the middle there, he's not wringing his hands, but he has the same emotions that we have towards those people. He has a love for people that we have to learn what, kind, what that is. 
several times the writers of the New Testament will hit upon it. They'll say, what love is this? You know, or how could we neglect so great a salvation? They, they get a glimpse or just a flavor of it, you know. Um, Moses coming down from the mountaintop, he had to veil his face because he'd been in the presence of God and he shone too much. It was, there's moments throughout Scripture where people get awfully close to the Lord and are awfully changed and transformed by him. Paul has had one of those moments, and he'll talk about that tonight. I've had one of those moments, and several moments after I got saved also. And hopefully you've had one of those moments with the Lord where you've encountered him. Not just heard about him, not we're just told about him, not we're convinced to love him. And that's a, that's a hard thing, because that's all we can do for people is to point them and take them and share with them and do all that. But for them to encounter the true and living God and to meet Jesus, truly meet him, not come to a mental ascension of his existence, that's nothing we can do about that. That's between him and, and them. I hope everybody in this room's had that moment with God. I don't know what sparked it with me, how the moment came to be, you know. I can retrace the steps, but why that night was any different than any other time I'd been thinking about the Lord, I don't know what the difference was, but there was a great difference. Changed me forever. Never been the same since, and I don't know how else to describe it. I was born again. I mean, I was born from above. My spirit was awakened. It had been dead before. Now it was awakened, and now I have a relationship through the Spirit with the Spirit, God. And it never happened to me before. I, I had a heart. I had emotions. I had thoughts about Him, but I'd never had that awakening of the Spirit to where now my spirit was resurrected back to life. That's what died in the garden if you didn't know. David brought that up, but we didn't get to, and I, I apologize. I didn't see that from last night's or from Monday night's question and answer period, but he said, you know, mankind is a trinity also. We have body, soul, and spirit. And that's what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve were born in the garden with body, soul, and spirit, and they fellowship with God by the spirit, walked in the cool of the day with him. And he says, if the day you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. And Satan says, you're not going to die. Of course, Satan's talking about flesh. God's talking about spirit. And it's in that word play that Satan tricks him, tricks Eve and tricks Adam into being disobedient to God. And in the process of eating that fruit, their spirit did die. And now they're nothing but body and emotions. But the spirit is dead. That fellowship with God is broken. That's what being born again is. That's what John, in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus was trying to explain to Nicodemus. Nick, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born from above. You've been born from below. You're physically here. You've come out of a woman at some point in time, but you now need to be born from above. You need to have your spirit revived, resurrected. How could a man enter his mother's womb again? Oh, Nicodemus, it's not what I'm talking about. I've had that moment. Paul's had that moment, and I hope you've had that moment. If you haven't had that moment, <laughs> my, my temptation here is to say, come on, please have that moment. But I know that that's not how it works. All I can tell you is make yourself available for that moment. That's the best thing I can tell you. I made myself available. I had heard enough to know that I needed to make myself available for God to do what he needs to do in my life to change me. And I made that commitment to him. I said, God, I want to be born again. But that's a hard thing for a dead man to say, but I said it, you know, and I waited. 
And it happened. Paul's had that. And he's going to try to express that to these beautiful people that just tried to kill him. It's been a couple weeks since we've been here. I just want to remind you, this mob just tried to tear Paul limb from limb. We're beating him senseless until the captain of the guard got his troops together, marched over and pulled him out of this mob. And they're carrying him in. And he says, please, please don't take me in yet. Let me talk to the people. I want to speak to them. He thinks he's losing it. He's missing his opportunity. I have a captive audience. That's how he saw the situation. That just baffles me. There's a mob out there saying, kill him, kill him. Hold on, they're listening to me. (laughs) No, run and hide, you know. So he begins to speak in verse 1. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. He's speaking Hebrew. Remember what the problem was. If you don't remember, they accused Paul because they had seen him walking around with a Gentile. Air quotes. I don't do that very often, but you're lucky tonight. A Gentile, an unbeliever, you know, he's not a Jewish guy, saw him walking around town with them and assumed, made an assumption, and you know what assumptions do for us, that he had brought this Gentile into the temple and how dare he, you know, beat him up, kill him. He hadn't. So he sees this as an opportunity. He begins to speak to them in Hebrew and they're quiet and saying, hey, this guy's talking Jewish talk. And he said to him, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. That makes me laugh. Paul's looking at the crowd that was beating him, and the best thing he can say to them is, I, I can see you're really zealous for God. By the beating I just took, you know? What a heart. What you guys did, I I understand. You beat me because you love God so much, you know? And you know what's funny is he does understand, and he's going to explain it to him how he can understand that, because that's what he used to do. And if you take anything away from this as an older saint, someone who's believed in God for a long time, If you can't relate to sinners, you need to get back to that place where you can. If you're so far removed from where God saved you that you can't relate like Paul is relate, this is 20 years later. After Paul just stopped beating and killing Christians, became a Christian, 20 years later he's saying, I get it. I understand where you are. I was like you. I used to beat and kill Christians too. You got to get back to that place. If sinners are icky or gross or Gentiles, that's twice. Then we need to get back to that place where we can understand where they're coming from and why they are where they are. I don't think we have to be them, but Jesus was very sure to understand people's hearts, and he would willingly eat with tax collectors. He didn't have a problem with eating with sinners. He didn't become a sinner They became righteous by being in his presence, but he was not afraid to be in their presence. He understood them. He was a God and is a God described in Hebrews as someone who can sympathize with our weakness. That's that's what he calls himself. Jesus is a savior, a, a, a master who can sympathize with our weakness. 
And I wonder if I sympathize with weakness. He sympathized. So Paul is trying to sympathize. I understand. I was under Gamaliel. Now, if you don't remember that name, that should, come, that should ring a bell to you. Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the guy, when the disciples were preaching Jesus, he was the guy that got everybody alone, let the disciples go over there and says, look, if this is of God, we're going to find ourselves fighting against God. If it's not a God, it's going to come to nothing. Like everything man does comes to nothing. But if this is of God, and that's Gamaliel that said that. Now, Paul is under the feet and under the teaching of Gamaliel. I mean, like he's, when he says this, everybody's like, oh, Gamaliel. Oh, he went to Cambridge. I mean, that's the idea. Oh, he went to Harvard. You know, ooh. Now, he's not boasting in that. He's just letting him know, look, you're accusing me of not being Jewish enough. I'm telling you, I'm Jewish enough. I was zealous toward God, as you all are today. I per- persecuted this way to death. Binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, uh, even those who were there uh, to Jerusalem to be punished. Now, you guys were zealous, but you failed to kill me. I succeeded in killing people. What an interesting way to reach people. It's hard to talk about your past without sounding like you're boasting because we kind of, I think it's an American thing. I'm pretty sure, David, you can correct me on this. But when we talk about something that's uncomfortable, we kind of laugh. Oh, I remember those days. We don't mean that. We mean like, oh, I remember those days. (laughs) Terrified in the back of a squad car, you know looking at the plexiglass and him just with his dome light on writing and writing and writing. And I'm like, wow, how did I get here? You know, kind of everybody's had that experience, right? Pretty sure. Then all my kids are like, dad, don't. (laughs) I've had those moments and I laugh. (laughs) It's not funny at all at the time. It's terrifying. And there's remorse and there's, it was foolishness and, everything associated with that. When I talk about my past, I need to be very careful that I don't make a joke out of it, but I also relate. You know? I've never been, I haven't been a felon, never been convicted of a felony. I've been a felon, I just haven't been convicted of felony. Um, And so that's meant not to boast about, look how much of a bad boy I am, it's meant to say, look how far God's taken me or what he saved me from and the direction I was headed. I, we talked a little bit about that in prayer, and I spent some time on prayer night on Sunday night, and then with Jenny, we're talking about paths, you know, and recognizing people on different paths, and you can see how this is not going to end well. Even in grade school, you can tell this kid's starting to get in trouble already. This is, if some, something doesn't happen. If intervention doesn't take place here, I'm going to see this kid when he's 15. I'm going to see this kid when he's 20, and I'll probably never see him again after that because he'll be locked up for the rest of his life is the idea. Now, I was on that path progressively getting worse and becoming worse, and God intervened. The Marine Corps intervened first, but then he intervened while I was there to make sure that when I got out, I wasn't going to be doing stupid stuff like that anymore, or as much of it anyway. That intervention is everything. 
That moment when he reached down into my life was perfect timing. And I was born again. Paul is describing his hatred for other people, his hatred, his zealous, his zeal for the Lord. It was more so than even you guys because I succeeded in killing. I mean, you guys had one guy to beat up today and you couldn't even do that right. I killed lots of guys. I put in prison everybody, men, women, children. I didn't care. And I had authority from the church to do so or the synagogue to do so. So now he describes his conversion. Now, this is interesting because in Luke is the writer of Acts. Parchment is rare, scarce. Keep that in mind. You don't repeat yourself. You say something like, and then I got saved. You can see that in chapter 6 or 9 when I talked about it the first time. You don't repeat the whole thing over again because you're taking up more valuable space on the scroll, basically. You don't do that. Luke finds it that important to repeat this several times. And Paul, even in God's word, this story gets repeated four different times. Doesn't just talk about his conversion, describes it in detail. This is the second time we have it. So he says in verse 6, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, that was his name at the time, why are you persecuting me? Now, he wasn't. He was persecuting the church, but Jesus takes it personally when you attack his bride, when you make fun of his bride, when you put his bride in prison, when you kill his bride. Why are you doing this to me? So I answered. I said, who are you, Lord? And he said to him, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. And we spoke a little bit about that. How that was not a badge of honor to say, I'm from Nazareth. Jesus took pleasure in saying, I'm from nowhere. I'm that Messiah who has blinded the most powerful religious ruler of the day right now and is speaking to you, and you're humbly on the ground before me, and I'm from Nazareth. He's just giving Paul the full effect here. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. So he tells them, Hey, the light just told me to go to Damascus. Can you guys lead me there? I can't see where I'm going anymore. Now, why is he saying all this? Because these Jewish people need to know I'm super Jew, Paul, under Gamaliel, was the persecutor of this way that I've now become a part of. But I want you to understand something. When I met my Savior, I didn't reject him. I was still a good Jew and accepted him. That's the point. I didn't just say, no, 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 no. I honestly had a heart for God, and I thought I was doing the right thing until I met my Creator, until I met my Savior, and I said, you're Lord. I went right along with my path as always have been. Who are you? Who are I, I want to know who you are, God. I want to... And all of a sudden, well, then I met him. And so I, I submitted. They need to know that because that's their responsibility. He's being accused of not being Jewish enough, of not uh, being careful and protective of their heritage, of their traditions, of the rituals. He's saying, no, 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 no. You understand. I am doing what all of you are supposed to be doing. I'm leading by example, you know. So they took me to Damascus. Then, he says in verse 12, a certain Ananias, a devout man, 
according to the law. He has to put that in there. He's a believer. He's a Jewish guy. He's devout. He's strong. And that's who I met. Having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there. Came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that time or at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and, and, and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witnesses to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. He is waiting till the very last minute to say what he has to say. We know from the other times that he's spoken of this story, he didn't wait this long to talk about Gentiles. He's waiting. He knows. But he wants him to know that the next thing that I did was I obeyed that voice. And Ananias, a devout Jew who was doing the same thing I was doing by meeting his Messiah and accepting his Messiah, we've now met. Now there's a supernatural event that's taken place. Jesus took my sight from being so bright symbolically showing me my spiritual blindness because no matter how many times I looked at the scriptures, I didn't see this. That describes a lot of people. They can open their Bibles all day long and they still can't see it. And that's got to be a work of the Lord in their lives for them to love it, to read it, to accept it, to not just believe it because they're supposed to. Mm, so hard. When you got six kids, you want them all to know Jesus. You do. Not that if you had three kids, you didn't want them all to know Jesus, but that's a lot of kids. You got to make sure they all love Jesus. I mean, if I had two, like a third of the work, you know, got six. And you do that by sharing with them the word and planting it in their hearts, having quiet times with them, devotional times with them, spending that sweet time with them knowing that that time is going to be remembered, if anything, maybe not the words, but the emotional connection that took place during sitting on the couch. That's what matters when they're young. You ask them, what did we learn today? Tell daddy what we learned today on the couch. I don't know. But they remember being on the couch with mom or dad or whoever, sat down with them to read them the word of God. And they equate this book with that warmth, as they should, because later on it'll be that warmth for them. But for now, you're the warmth as as a parent. You're the one who shares that with them. Paul is trying to let them know this is normal. This is what all Jews are supposed to do. We've been reading God's word, and although we couldn't see it, and although I didn't understand it, and God blinded me, showing me my spiritual blindness, I got it at that point, calling him Lord. And once I got it, Ananias shows up, gives me my sight back and my calling. On my life. Tells me what I'm supposed to be doing. Now that's nice. To get your calling that quick. Paul was prepped. You want to talk about an unusual person? Well, we're going to see how unusual here in a minute. He's not just a part of the Sanhedrin, which is exceptional. That's like saying, I'm a congressman. That's what they did. That was like their legislature is the Jewish people. They were that high up. There's only 80 of them in the whole country of millions. That's pretty rare already to be a part of the Sanhedrin. He was one of those guys. He was under Gamaliel, which makes him even better, you know. There's some congressmen I respect, and there's some congressmen I just, how in the world did you get in there, you know, kind of thing. Congresswomen, whatever. 
But there's some other ones I'm like, man, they're smart. That's exactly who I want in that room. They are smart. And then there's others. It's like, well, they're less smart. Let's just put it that way. I appreciate that. Paul is smart. I was talking about, we were, we were picking on your husband um, Monday. Did, did he watch that? Did he see? Okay. We're, he's, like, he's like genius level. You probably know that just by talking to him on certain things, on certain things. His daughter's going, no, he's not really. He is. John Anderson. If John's watching, don't get big headed. Um, But John Anderson, he's like, they're like genius level people. And they start talking about stuff and they look at me and they say, well, you know, and I'm like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I'm sure it's true. I just don't understand it. I can't grasp it. You know, Paul is one of those guys. He's just, he knows he's just smart. And he says, and it took Jesus to meet me on the road to show me my spiritual blindness and for this Ananias to come and touch me and give me my sight back. That's a humbling thing. And my mission. He says, now go get baptized. Wash your sins away and call on the name of the Lord. Now it happened. Verse 17. When I returned to Jerusalem, And was praying in the temple. This is three years later, by the way. I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. I was in a trance. So this is to show them, even after I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I got baptized, and I'm now a part of the way that I was persecuting, I still went to the temple. I'm still praying like a good Jewish boy. I'm still doing that. I don't hate our traditions. Jesus fulfills all those traditions. So I'm still doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and he wanted them to know that. But now he tells me I'm supposed to get out of here. I'm in a trance. I get this vision, another miracle. He's supposed to t- I'm, I'm supposed to get out of Jerusalem because I, they're going to hurt me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing Uh, I was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. I knew that. They know that about me. Why do you want me to leave? I'm I'm your greatest asset right now. I could tell everybody about, hey, I was wrong. Stephen shouldn't have been martyred. I, I don't know why I was holding the clothes. I just was blinded at the time. Now we're moving closer to the last sentence that he's going to be able to say. And he's waited this long. And he says, then he said to me, this is what Jesus told me, depart, for I'll send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. I mean, they hate Gentiles. That's how much they hate Gentiles. You know how hard it is to get a mob to be quiet? The mob is quiet, hanging on every word, saying Blinded. He's blinded. Ananias. Gamaliel, you know. Gentile. Flip the switch. Now, I don't think I have that in my heart. But I got to be careful that I shouldn't be able to put any word there at the end and cause me to flip a switch and say, nope, not ministering to them. Not going to do it. They're beyond saving. They're beyond my interest. They're beyond my love. They're beyond what I care about. 
you know? There are bounds of ministries that we're supposed to stay in. I believe that strongly. I think God gives us a sphere, of, a sphere of influence that we're supposed to stay within. Maybe once in a while, in an exceptional case, we'll go outside that sphere. But he wants us to focus on something. I think God always wanted Paul to focus on the Gentiles. But he has such a heart for the Jews. Every once in a while he steps in, gets beat to a pulp, and steps back into where he's supposed to be. It's kind of what happens with him. I don't want to ever be that kind of person that's with, if God was to tell me, I want you to go to, I'm trying to think of something, but I don't, I don't want to pick on something because then, then we'll all focus on that. It could be anything, any prejudice that we may have, you know? I want you to go to a prison. I want you to go to Iran. I want you to go to Africa. I want you to go to Russia. I want you to go to China. I want you to go to the poor, the, po- the impoverished. I want you to go to gangbangers, you know? <sighs> Any one of those things can cause us to flip a switch, and we have to be very careful that we don't end up like this mob. I'm not saying that we are, but I take those things to heart when it says that they stop listening at that word. I've had moments in the time. You know, when you first start reading the Bible, when you start studying it for the first time, like you've gone to a church your whole life where it's all topical or there's like three verses, a song, and then you do the offering and then they bring it up to the offering and they set it down. Then they walk away, oh man. And you do, your th- you do the whole ritual thing. I'm not making fun of it, but it is a little light, a little light on God's word. When you start studying God's word, you're like, whoa, I mean, there's so much here. It's almost overwhelming. You know, it's too big, too much to take in. And you think you're okay because you're saved and you're better than Hitler. That's about our comparison. That's it. I'm not Hitler, so I must be going to heaven. So everybody above Hitler is going to heaven. We got the idea. Until you come across something in God's word that actually touches something that you do, you're like, oh, that's wrong? I'm not supposed to do that? Like ever? Or some? Or I can have that moment sometimes with God where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get back to that, you know? Time to watch some TV, time to do something, anything other than what I just can't, got confronted with, you know. We've had that here at our church, lots. Oh, this is the greatest church. I've never felt closer to God. I don't mean to make fun. But when anybody tells you that, and I'm happy for them, I'm like, oh, you're so new. You haven't been here long enough. Because we're kind of the same as everybody else. We rub each other the wrong way, just like every other church does. You just haven't been here long enough to get rubbed the wrong way yet, but it's going to come. And, and we haven't hit one of your sins yet. Because the problem with, and I'm joking, I say that tongue-in-cheek, with going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through scriptures, I don't get to tiptoe around anything. We're going to hit everything, and we're going to hit everybody. And when you hit that word, some of them are just like, you can just see them stiffening their chair and like, oh, never going back to that place again. I love that church until that word. And, and, a lot, and sometimes it can be just my personality is just abrasive, and I understand that. Sorry. I, I, I'm, work, I'm a work in progress there. But if it's God's word that causes you to stop listening, because I can't believe you still believe that, I can't still, I can't believe that you're that archaic, that you still believe that is a sin still. We're way beyond that in the world. We, we've accepted this in the churches that I used to go up to. We're not, we're not into that anymore. It's like, no, no, 
God's word doesn't change. He says it was an abomination, and he, he, he died on the cross for that sin. You can't, you can't just skip that stuff, you know? We can do that when we come to God's word, whether that's in a group setting or whether that's in our personal quiet times. We can come across something. It says, and they listen to him, God, Jesus, anybody, Paul, until this word, and then they raise their voice and says, away with such a fellow. No way. Not doing it. You have to be careful. So that was it. That was the end of his message. He gave as much as he could. Verse 23, then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, that's helpful, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging. Now, examined isn't what you think. (laughs) Examined is like beat him until he confesses something is the idea. So we're going to scourge this guy until he tells us what he did. I don't know what he said, but he said something in Hebrew, and they flipped out. Beat him up until he tells us what's wrong. What did he say? <laughs> and I love this moment for Paul. I don't know if you can feel it or not. Here, here, I, can just, I can see him. They wanted to tear him up, and the guy says, this Roman guy says, why don't we scourge him until he tells us the truth about who he is or what he just said. And so they bound him with thongs, pieces of leather. And Paul said to the centurion who stood by, not today. Now I added that. It doesn't say that at all. But Paul said, you know what? I don't feel like getting beat up today. No. Paul's been scourged. He describes it. I was beaten several times, shipwrecked. He goes through this whole thing with the with the Ephesians and all, and all, telling him all the things he's been through for the sake of the gospel. And this guy says, let's just beat him up until he says, he says, they bound him with thongs and he says, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And they all just froze. They froze. And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander saying, take care what you do for this man is a Roman. And the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? He says, yes. The commander answered with a large sum. I obtained this citizenship. How did you afford it is the idea. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. I love that moment. (laughs) You know why that happened? If 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 you're a Roman, you've got rights. It's one of the greatest things about that civilization. They had some weirdo things going on, like we have weirdo things going on. One of the most beautiful things and one of the most appreciated things about America, the most appreciated things about Rome, are not the weird, bizarre things that go on. It's about the justice that can take place. It's about human rights. It's the actual ability to own property. These are things that are coveted and admired all over the world because you can get it no place else. No place else. Like we have it here. Yeah, we've got our problems with that freedom comes a lot of responsibility and a lot of people haven't taken the responsibility to govern themselves and so they're all being weird, sinning. But for these guys, this meant something. He's a Roman. That means everything we've done so far is illegal and it would cost them their lives. That was the punishment. Can you imagine? No, no, no. You cannot do this to a Roman citizen without just cause. 
without, you know, not just an accusation, but there has to be a trial. There has to be this guy has rights until he doesn't have rights, until we decide, the the government decides that he doesn't have these citizenship rights again. But until that happens, you don't do that. We're not a, that was the point of, of Rome, of, the, of the, what we would call colonization or the, the, tra- the transfer of this democracy all over the world, was to civilize it. No, no, we don't just, you know, string people up and hang them from the highest tree anymore. We don't just kill people in the streets. We don't do that anymore. We're, we're, we're law and order is what we're supposed to be. So they took this very serious because every one of these is now, every one of these people is now guilty or very close to it anyway of being found not only contempt of court, but of well, um, civil rights violations is what this is. So when he says this, they're like, whoa. Now, we don't know how he got his citizenship. He said he was born into it. The Bible doesn't tell us what Paul's dad did or what Paul's grandpa did to get this, it was, only, it was one of the two, to make this happen. But he's born into this freedom. And in order to get that kind of freedom, this citizenship bestowed upon you as a Jewish person, because they're all Jewish. So nobody here is like really like born Roman, like, um, uh, like Luke was half, you know, half Greek, half, half Jew. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't like that. Paul's fully Jewish, so in order to get this, something great had to happen in his history. I mean, so why do I care? Very unique person. To be a part of the Sanhedrin, to be a part of the top 80 Jewish religious rulers and governing authority, flat out, he's part of the legislature of Israel, but to be a full-blooded Roman citizen or full-born Roman citizen also is just so unique. And God is using him in such a unique way. It's like his whole life has been geared for this. He's going to write after this book of Acts, when we're done here, we're going to go into the book of Romans. And only the Roman Jewish guy could write to the Romans. I mean, it's just amazing. And I want you to think about you, yourself, your background, the, 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 the uniqueness of it, you know, how strange it is and how nobody seems to have the kind of, nobody can understand me, nobody can identify. Well, no, there's a specific purpose for all that in your life. God's got a specific group of people he wants you to minister to in a specific way that only you can do it, you know. Keep that in mind. And I don't know what that is. I would never presume to be able to tell you what your calling is or what God's plan is for your life. I mean, it's to be sanctified, set apart for him. I know that. That's everybody. But who he wants you to minister to, I don't know. And how? I don't know. But watch for it. It'll unfold if you'll just answer it and be obedient to him like, like Paul did. So they withdraw like, whoa, we shouldn't have done that. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Now, this is a lot different than the way they saw Paul get taken out of the crowd in bound, bound and chains. I mean, they, they all went to bed. That mob went to bed. The leaders in that mob went to bed thinking that's the end of Paul. He's getting beat right now, and I'm laying on my feather bed. That's how they... The next day, they get this knock on their door from the Roman. You don't want a Roman soldier knocking on your door. We need you to appear. You want to talk about a sick feeling in your stomach, you know? 
We need you to appear. This is a summons. You need to come. We need to talk to you. Oh, okay. What's this about? It's about Paul. Oh, okay. Something happened last night, you know? And so he's, they're all sitting there going, okay, what if this is about? Maybe they're going to let us witness his death. Maybe they're going to let us punch him a little bit. And all of a sudden, Paul gets brought in, and he's not being brought in like he was brought out. He's got robes on. He's, he's fat and happy. He's been eating. He's been drinking. He's, he's a Roman citizen, and he comes and sits down with them, says, we're all going to talk about what happened yesterday. Makes him very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. And so they brought these all together and they sat him down. And that's where we end tonight. We get this next week, what happens with these guys and how it all falls apart, unfortunately. Poor Paul. He so desperately wanted them to know Jesus. He so desperately wanted to explain to them what happened to him. He's, he really wanted them to have what he had. I think everyone in this room who's a born-again believer knows what that's like. And all we can do is pray. All we can do is give them the word when we can give them the word. Take the opportunities when we get the opportunities and pray that God somehow raises their spirit to life and they're a born-again believer, that they accept it, that they believe on Jesus, they trust in him, they want to be born again, and their lives are changed like ours, that we can have fellowship like we've never had fellowship before. That's a hard thing. But it doesn't ever stop. Paul never gives up on these people. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't. I'm convinced I do. But we don't know that it sounds an awful lot like Paul. It's anonymous. It's written that way. But it sounds like a Jew writing to the Jews to tell them to stop being Jews, that they need to move on, that they need to accept their Messiah. And we'll get to that eventually too. He loves them. He loves them. And I pray that we would all have that love for people like he does, regardless of their attitude towards us, but that we would respond with what we need to respond with. I can understand where you're coming from. I understand your zeal. I understand your hatred. I understand why you are the way you are, because I was there too. I can sympathize with that weakness. But I I don't want to leave you in that weakness. I want to take you out of that. I want to show you someone who can. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for Paul and his heart and his love. What a great example. Lord, I, I pray for that for ourselves. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that just felt that tug in their heart tonight, they felt that stirring take place, that they want, what they know they're missing in you, I pray that you give them that. As they ask you to be born again, as they ask you to come into their hearts, as they desire for you to change them from the inside out, I pray that you do that, Lord. That they'd have that moment like Paul had his moment with you. That they'd encounter you that they'd meet you, not just the idea of you, but you. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, they would be born again. They'd follow you their whole lives. They'd be changed, that you'd forgive them of their sins, that you'd lead them in the ways of righteousness, that they would um, grow in you, and they'd find that peace that they've been missing, that only you can give. We pray for our kids that have been taught tonight. We pray that you bless those teachers that took the time to prepare a lesson and to minister to their little hearts. We pray for all those little kids. We don't want any of them to have to go through what we went through before we came to you. I pray they come to know you soon, early, now, that they could have a life free from all that memory that we have, um, that they could walk with you and be strong and close to you and, and, and be even better, Lord. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.